Alright, turn your Bibles to Psalm 132. We've been studying these 15 songs of ascension, the songs they would sing on the way up to the temple on those three times a year. We're growing to an end here. I've kept my promise so far. I've only preached one message per psalm. Uh, this week was especially hard because Psalm 132 is the longest of all these 15 psalms. They've been to be in about three to five verses, but this one is 18 verses, so, so get ready and hold on because we're going to have to go a little fast for me to get through this one in one in one message. I am going to do like I did last week and I'll be making application as we go along so there'll be no application part at the end. Uh, Psalm 132 has to do with this desire to meet with God. If we look at uh, a quick breakdown, if I could help you mark your Bibles, I would have give you some things to mark. If you would start by marking verses 1 through 5, this would be the outline I'll use. Uh, verse 1 through 5 is the, talks about the temple of God. And then we'll be looking at verses 6, uh, 6 through 10. And verses 6 through 10 talk about the Ark of the Covenant. And then we'll be looking at verses 11 through 18, which talk about the throne of God. So you have the temple. These all have to do with places to meet with God. You have the temple of God, the ark of God, and then the throne of God. Two other things I'd like you to mark in your Bibles. If you look at verse 10, at the end of verse 10, it says, For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointing. Those words there, anointed, if you'd circle those and write out to the side, that is the word for Messiah. And so this is a reference to Jesus in verse 10 when he, when he speaks of the anointed. And then again down in verse 17, if you'll look there, there are, I'll make the horn of David groan and I will, I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. Again, this word anointed is the word Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. And so again, this is a reference to Jesus the Christ or Jesus the Messiah. Let's look at it. First of all, uh, number one, the temple of God, verses one through five. Look there with me. Lord, remember David in all of his afflictions, how he swore to the Lord and how he vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely, surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. And so in verse five, he's looking for a place for the Lord to dwell. He's wanting to build a house for God is what he's wanting to do. Look back at verse 1. He says, Lord, remember David in all of his afflictions. It speaks here of David's afflictions. It was a time to remember when David had been uh, wandering in the wilderness. Uh, you remember when Saul, King Saul at the time, was still king, but David had been anointed king by David, and Saul was chasing David uh, literally around through the woods in the wilderness trying to kill him. And David did not have a house to live in. I think when it speaks here about, about David's afflictions, it would be probably during that time. And it says during his afflictions, he wanted to meet with God. He wanted to have a place. If you've ever been in a season of affliction, a season of suffering, you know this more than you know anything else if you think back about that time. What you needed more than anything was a place to meet with God. You needed a meeting with the living God. And, and if you found a meeting with God, that is what secured you and kept you as you traveled through those afflictions or through those sufferings. So it says that, that here he is to remember the afflictions of David in verse 1. Underline the word remember. 
This word remember has to do in the Bible many times with God answering a prayer that had long been prayed. In other words, somebody had prayed a prayer for a long time, and when the Bible says God remembers it, it doesn't mean that God forgets some things. It just remembers that God keeps what He said He would do way back there. He had answered the prayer way back there, but He only answers it up here in this present time, in your current time, and that's why it's translated by the word remember. It says the Lord remembered David's afflictions, how much David wanted to meet with God when he was wandering around in the wilderness, and how he remembered it was to keep his promise and finally allow David to have a place to remember, a place to meet with God. He, he did this in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. It says that God remembered Noah, and he caused the waters to rescind from the face of the earth. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 29, it says that God remembered Abraham and spared Lot when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It says in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, that God remembered Rachel when he opened her womb and allowed her to have a child. It says in Exodus chapter 2, verse 22, that God remembered this covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19, that God remembered Hannah when he answered her prayer and gave her a son. David is often have been known as a man who had a desire to meet with God. And when it says God remembered him, it means that God answered his prayer and allowed him to meet with God. There's been a, a few occasions in my life when I come to preach a funeral when, when the children of the one who had passed away, either the dad or the, or the mom had passed away, and their grown children will come to me before the funeral, and they'll say something like this, John, you remember how much Daddy liked to go to church? You better preach today. Or John, you remember how much Mama liked to go to church? This is the day of their funeral. You better preach today. And if you don't know a burden on a preacher, you let some young, uh, young adult say that to you on the day of their parents' funeral. I once had a lady who passed away that lived not far from me. She didn't go to our church and didn't have much to do with my preaching. However, she had heard me preach on a few occasions. And upon her passing, she had left word with her children that I was to preach her funeral. Now, if you know much about how church works, if you're the pastor and somebody in your congregation dies and they invited somebody else to come and preach the funeral, y'all with me? That's a little bit of a slap against your own preacher. Just telling y'all that's just the way things work. It's a little bit of like, you sit down, young man, on this guy to come in and preach. And that's what this lady did. She had me come and preach. I didn't understand why, but on the day of the funeral, her, her children gathered around me and said, Mama heard you preach just a handful of times. And she said on the day of her funeral, she wanted somebody to preach, and you better preach. <laughs> now, what, is, what this means is there are people who have experienced meeting with God at some point in their life. And they absolutely love it. They have experienced meeting with God primarily through the preached Word of God or through the Word of God in some capacity. And they have rejoiced in it. And it has been sweetness to their soul. And they have longed for it all their lives. And so on the day of their death, their children, in memory of them, will want to have somebody there that's going to let the Word of God come and they're going to say, preach, brother, preach. And that's a sweet thing. I remember some weeks ago I preached a funeral, I mean not a funeral, but a service. 
on going to church and I said that the dads would be the guy who would get up in the morning and say, let's go, let's go, and let's go to church because your children know whether or not you want to get up and go meet with the Lord. And so David swore to God, he says in verse 2, he says, he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. David swore to God, I'm going to build you a house because David so desperately wanted to meet with God. Look at verse 3. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. David not only swore to God that he was going to build him a house, he says in verse 3 through 5, I will not rest until I've done so. David, who was the king of Israel, you know, everybody kind of can set out their own course of life if they want to. You can say, I want to be a good businessman. You can say, I want to be a good father. You can say, I want to be a good husband. Some people say, I want to be a good friend of people. Some people say, I want to be honest and, and a man of integrity. But you kind of set out a course of life that you want to live by. You could say it would be the way that you live most of your life, something they could write on your tombstone. That's what you were characterized by. That's what everybody knew that you tried to be. That's what everybody knew that you wanted to do. And when David is to be remembered, he's not to be remembered as the king of Israel. He's not to be remembered as the one who killed a giant. He's not to be the remembered as the one who killed a lion and a bear. He says, I want you to remember something about me. If David were here today, he would say, remember, I wanted to meet with God. And I wanted to build a house for God so I could meet with God every day. That's who David was. That's the temple of God. It was a place where you could come and meet with God. However, God doesn't need a house. And he cannot be contained. Turn with me in your Bibles just for a minute. I don't often have you do this, but I want you to read this for yourself. Turn with your Bibles to the Old Testament. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's, it's just before Kings. 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, we're going to start reading verse 1. This is after David had become king of Israel and David had built his, his own house. 2 Samuel Give just a second to get there. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around, that the king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in the house of cedar, but the ark of God, I love the word ark of, ark of God, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Go do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Listen, David had good intentions. David's desire was pure. He wanted to meet with God. But what David wanted to do was not right. Now the prophet Nathan told David wrong. Verse 3, he says, Go do whatever is in your heart, for God's with you. God was with David, but what was in David's heart at that moment was not what God wanted. Look at verse 4. But it happened that night that the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you or could you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelled in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day. But I have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. 
wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? In other words, God is saying to Nathan, Go tell David. Go tell David. Verse 3 said, Do all that's in your heart. The Lord is with you. He said, Go tell David. The Lord's been with you. But I never asked anybody to build me a house. That's what he said. I never told anybody to go build me a house like this. He says in Isaiah chapter 66 verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you would build for me, and where would be my place of rest? In other words, God is saying, I'm in the heavens, and the heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool, I cannot be contained in the four walls of a house building. In Acts chapter 7, verse, 70, uh, verse 48 and 49, it says, However, the most, high, the most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. He says, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house would you build for me, says the Lord, is, or what is the place of my rest? In Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25, it says, God who made the world and everything in it, since He is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is He worshipped with men's hands, as though He needed anything, since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. And so God doesn't need a house, and God cannot be contained in a house, if we look back at the Old Testament, we see numerous times when God would meet with men. He met with Abraham on a mountain. He met with many people, as a matter of fact, on a mountain. I, I often wonder about that. Even as we're singing and studying these songs of ascension, they were climbing a mountain to, the, to where the house of God finally was built, and it was built really high up. There's something that God does to people when He calls them up on top of a mountain to meet with Him. You ever thought about that? He makes you climb a mountain to meet with him. I, I experienced this as a young man, man, because I grew up in the mountains. I would often, I've told you this, I'd ride a horse or climb a mountain, go up to the top of that mountain and pray and spend time with the Lord. And there was something special about it. There was something holy about God's presence up there. But I think one of the reasons God would have you climb a mountain to get up there would be just to have time to think on the climb how good is it going to be when I get there? How good is it going to be when I finally get to the top of this mountain and I have my prayer time? For me to ride that horse up there would sometimes take two or three hours on horseback to get up to the top of that place where I'd go and pray and meet with God. And on the way up there, I would anticipate what it would be like. And when I would finally get up there, I'd get off that horse tired and weary, and I would scrape the ground in front of me and get down on my face and begin to pray to the living God. There's something about the anticipation of getting to be with God, of getting to meet with God, and the hope that surely today God's going to show up and allow me to meet with Him. We also hear about the story when Moses met with God and God consumed the burning bush. And God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20, You cannot see my face. No one may see me and live. And so he told Moses to take the shoes off his feet because the place where he's standing is holy ground. God in that instance consumed a bush and it, it burned with fire but was not consumed. When I used to preach the Bibles and travel around, I preached a message that I called 
any old bush will do. And it had to do with this, that God can consume any old thing and make it holy. He's just that holy. He can consume any old person and make them holy. He's just that holy. And so there was this instance when God consumed a burning bush and met with Moses. There's another time when it speaks of God meeting with Elijah, and it said he met with Elijah with a still, small whisper. A whisper. Think about that. Just a quiet whisper. And the Bible says there that Elijah hid his face under his coat, and he shook in fear. And God responded and said to Elijah, as God often had to do when he met with people, and said, do not be afraid. If you really experience the living God, there's a sense of trembling that will overcome you. There's a sense of fear that will overcome you. And there's a great sense of the weight of your sin that will overcome you if you really meet with God. And so there's lots of instances where people would meet with God. And David had obviously met with God at some point, And he wanted it again and again and again. And that's why he wanted to build God a house. I want to ask you today. Do you have a desire to meet with the living God? Do you have a desire to meet with the living God? Do you want that? You, know, you need to know this. That if you do have that desire, that desire came from God. That's, a, that's proof of the work of God in your life. If you sit there and you said, yeah, I want to hold and meet with you. you. You said that out of feeling unworthy and unfit and like it couldn't happen. But you need to know this. If you have that desire, somewhat it's already happened because it's God who put that desire in you. He created you with this desire and He's caused this desire to burn with inside you even today in the year 2023. There will come occasion in the days of our church, and I pray for it this week, and I hope you join me in praying for it, that God would awake men in this community from their beds on Sunday mornings with this one thing, a desire to meet with God. Notice what it said in verse 1, it is out of David's affliction that he had this desire. There are people all over our town this morning, just look out the window right now. There are people walking by, people driving by. There's, school, there's uh, stores on each end of this shopping center. And there are people around our town who are suffering, who are in affliction, who are in torment, and they're in pain that you, you can't understand and you don't know about. And they're hiding from everybody around them. But the God Almighty that we serve is doing a work in them in this affliction. And in their affliction, here's what's going to rise to the surface. They're going to think to meet with God. And when they do, they're, they're not going to know what to do about it. They're not going to know where to go. They're not going to know what to, what to say or, or how to act. And some of them will walk by that door right there and they'll see service at 10.30 a.m. And it'll put a seed in their, in their mind. And God, by His supernatural power, just may draw them to this church. I pray that you'd pray that with me. He would draw them to this place out of their affliction to meet with God. When they come, all that they need is somebody to be friendly until they can sit here long enough to experience the living world. It's real. It's powerful. And it changes the hardest heart. I don't know about you, but I want to meet with God. I met with God this week and I told Him, I want to meet with you. I, I want to have church. Are y'all like that? I believe you are. We don't use guilt around here to get people to come to church. If you're here, it's not because you feel guilty because, well, if you do, it's on you. It ain't on us. 
we didn't make you feel guilty to be here. I believe you're here because you want to be with God. Do you want? I don't. I don't want to just have church. I want to have church. Are y'all like that? I don't want to just have a service. I want to be with God. I don't want to just have a, an hour of service. I want God to speak to us. I don't want to just sing. I want to. I want to lift up my heart and declare Him King of the Lord of my life while I'm singing. I can go on and on. I want to encourage you to pray that you would have a meeting with God. In the morning when you get up, this could be a new prayer you pray this week. When you get up in the morning, first thing you say, Oh Lord, I want to meet with you today. I want to experience you today. That's what David had. He had a desire to meet with God. So much so he wanted to build the house of God. Number two, this song is about the Ark of the Covenant. Look at it. It's in verses 6 through 10. The first thing we see is God's presence known. Let's read it all. Verse 6 through 10. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. You and the ark of your strength. Now this is where he mentions the ark in verse 8. You and the ark of your power. Verse 9. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. Thou must not have heard me read that. Let your saints shout for joy. <laughs> Verse 10. For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. That's the Messiah. And so he's speaking in verse 8 of the, of the ark of God. You remember what the ark is. It was that golden box that held those three things, the Aaron's rod that budded, the, the pot of manna, and the Ten Commandments. It was that ark of God that was seated in the holy of holy, in the holy place, you know, and behind the veil. It was that ark of God that the lid of this box, if you remember, I talk about this often, was the mercy seat. And that mercy seat gives us the picture that this ark of God wasn't just a box, but it was a chair. It wasn't just a chair, but it was a throne. It wasn't just a throne, but it was the throne, the throne of the living God. And so when they had that ark of God, it brought special thoughts to their mind, special desires to their mind, because the ark of God in the Old Testament represented the literal presence of God. It was the tangible, touchable presence of God wherever that ark was. However, they knew they couldn't touch it. And even in the, later in the Old Testament, when it was behind the veil of the Holy of Holies, they knew not only can, can they not touch it, they knew they couldn't see it. They couldn't look at it. They couldn't even come in its presence behind the Holy of Holies, in that, behind that veil, because if they did, they would die. So look back at verse 6 with me. In verse 6, Behold, we heard of it in Euphrates. The word it there is a reference to the ark of, of God. And then again in verse 6, we found it in the fields of the woods. The word it there is a reference to the ark of God. So when it says we heard of it in, in Ephrathah, a lot of scholars have a problem with this because we have no biblical record of the ark of God ever going to that place. We know that that place is uh, either a part of Bethlehem or, or near Bethlehem from Micah chapter 5 verse 2. And even though the ark never went there, this is the place of David's birth. 
this is the place that we would call David's hometown. So remember, David's writing this psalm, and if David says in verse 6, I heard of it in the break, what he's saying is, I heard of it since I was a little boy. Since I was a little boy, I heard of the ark of God, that place where the presence of God sits on the throne, on the ark of God, between those two cherubims. And then he says in verse 6, I found it in the fields of the woods. Now remember what David was doing. He was running around in the woods, running from Saul, who was trying to take his life. He had no house to dwell in. He had no place to lay his head. He had no stone for his pillow. And he's saying there, while I was wandering around in the fields and in the woods, I found the ark of God. Now he didn't literally find it. He didn't literally stumble upon the real ark. But what he's saying there is he found a place to meet with God out there in the woods. He found a place out there while he was in affliction, running for his life from King Saul. He found him a place to meet with God. Now let's go on. In verse 7, let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. He's saying here, let us go into that tent, that place where God is, and let us worship at his footstool. The word footstool here gives us an, an understanding that David knew that the ark of God was the throne of God because it would be at the foot of that throne that you would call that his footstool. And so David's literally saying this. He's saying, let me bow my face before the ark of God at the footstool of Jesus. Let me find that place to worship him bowed before his feet. Verse 8. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. The word arise could be translated stand up. He's saying, Lord, I want you to stand up in this one position, in this one place. And they, they understood this. Wherever the ark of God was in the Old Testament, they understood that to be, that's where God is. Wherever the ark of God was positioned, they understood that to be, that's where God is. The, look at verse 8. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. He calls it here the ark of the power of God. So that ark in the Old Testament was a symbol of the presence of God and the power of God. That ark was used to represent God, and this is a, even though God wasn't physically sitting on that throne, they imagined as if He was. They experienced power as if He was, and they worshiped as if He was. You remember when they were wandering in the wilderness for those 40 years? The ark was used to lead the nation through the wilderness. Those priests would lift that ark, and when they would move camp, the ark would lead the camp in a formation through the desert. The Bible says the ark would remain carried about 200 cubits ahead of the nation. In other words, it would be out in front of them leading the way, Numbers chapter 2, verse 9, and they would follow the ark of God. And so it was in a sense, that's the way God's leading us through the wilderness. Where are we going today? We're going where the ark goes. Where are we going to stop today? We're going to stop where the ark stops. And so this ark was the symbol of God's presence and God's power. God spoke to Moses in the tent of the meetings in the desert, the tabernacle. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 7, verse 89, that he did that from the Ark of the Covenant. You know there's this time in the Scripture when the Philistines stole the Ark of God for seven months in 1 Samuel chapter 6. And they took the Ark of God into their own little <coughs> idol temple that they had. And the Bible says they set the Ark of God up next to the Philistines' God named Dagon. Remember this story? 
and they left it there overnight, the ark of God, standing next to the fake god Dagon, the statue. And the next morning, they go into their little temple, and Dagon, their gods, fell over on his face. Remember this? They stand Dagon back up. Dagon, they stand him back up. They stand him back up. They come in the next morning, and Dagon, he got laid over again. And this time, his head's chopped off and rolled to the side. God was making a point. These gods may look like gods to you, and you may have made them for yourself, but they're nothing compared to the ark of God. They moved the ark around the Philistines did from place to place. They moved it to four different places in the Philistine camps. And the Philistines had problems everywhere the ark of God went. And so the Philistines got so tired of it, they did this. They said, you know what? We better send the ark of God back to Israel. It must belong to them. And they prepared an offering with the ark of God, and they sent it back to Israel, 1 Samuel chapter 6. On the way back to Israel, the cart that's carrying the ark breaks and turns over in Beth Shemesh. And 70 men there open the ark and look into it, and all 70 of them die. By and by, David begins to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. You remember this story on its way. Yeah, the ark begins to tumble over, and Uzzah, remember Uzzah, he reaches out his hand to, to catch the ark before it touches the ground, and Uzzah dies. And so David got scared of the presence of God. And David then sends the ark of God to Obed-Eden for three months, this little town in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 10. And while the ark is in Obed-Eden for ten months because David's afraid of it, that it'll kill him, it becomes... The Bible says, Obed Eden is blessed beyond measure. I'm, I'm going to read that to you. 2 Samuel chapter 6. You want to turn back to your 10? I'll read it to you. 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to pick up in verse 11. The, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed Eden to get out three months. And the Lord blessed Obed Eden and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed Eden and all that belongs to him because the ark of God. Let me just stop you right there. You get blessed in the presence of God. That's what that means. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed Eden to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when the when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six steps that he sacrificed ox and fatty sheep. So on the way from Obed Eden to David's house. He had them stop every six steps and make a sacrifice. And then take six more steps and make a sacrifice. Verse 14. Then when he got there, David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, when the ark, now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she did despise him in his heart. Now, uh, I remember when I grew up in the mountains, and the churches in the mountains, they actually do leap and dance in church when they think they've experienced God. You've probably never seen that in your life. I remember seeing it as a young man when I first went to church, because I got saved at about 15, I went to church, and I remember experiencing, actually, it was one of the first times I preached, and this woman got up and, and began to dance, and began to shout, and I just stopped preaching and looked at because I didn't know what in the world was going on. And I just waited until she was finished. I just did. I didn't know what to do. 
But here it says that they were dancing and whirling around before the Lord. And, and Micah, his wife, she despised them in his heart. Verse 17. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among it all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both women and men, to everyone a loaf of bread and a piece of meat and a cake of raisins, so that all the people departed everyone to his own house. Remember that part right there. We're going to get to that at the end of our song. He, he delivered all them bread and meat, every one of them, and a cake of raisins. That's a cookie. He gave them all this stuff because they had experienced the blessing of the presence of God. The same thing is said about Solomon when he dedicated the temple. Remember, David wanted to build the house of God, but God wouldn't let him. I'm going to read you all that, but it's a lot. God wouldn't let David build the house, but what David did is spend his life gathering all the materials to build God's temple. He gathered the gold. He gathered the silver and things that in the Bible was multitudes of gold and silver and trees. And, and he gathered together all the artistry, the men and women who could build these things. And he had all that prepared before he died. And so all God had to do was raise up Solomon, his son. And all Solomon had to do was take the materials and go build it. But, but God was doing this work in David, making preparation for the, the temple to be built. And after David died... God did use Solomon to actually build the temple of God. And when Solomon built the temple of God, it was far greater than that little tent that they used to keep the ark in. It was a majestic building, one of the greatest that have ever been built on the face of the earth, full of gold and silver and, and trinkets and everything that they could think of, jewels that would bring glory to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And on the day that it was finished and Solomon was going to dedicate the temple to the Lord, he prayed a prayer of dedication. And it was very similar to our song in chapter 132. As a matter of fact, I want you to look in your Bibles in Psalm 132, and I want you to pay attention to verses 8 through 10 while I read to you the, the dedication of Solomon for the big temple, the, the building temple that he had built, and this comes from 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 6. So you follow along in, in Psalms verses 8 through 10. Let me read to you Solomon's prayer in 2 Chronicles. Now therefore arise, O Lord God, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priest, O Lord, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember the mercies of your servant David. So Solomon went on to pray a prayer. You could say it even came from these verses, this song that his daddy had wrote, because it was this dedication of the Lord God Almighty bringing the ark of God into the house. You see, the house of God wasn't complete until they carried the ark in there. Why is that? The ark represented the presence of God. The ark represented the power of God. That's why it's sad. If there's so many churches having service in the United States of America today at 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning, they have church on their wall outside. And inside they're trying to have something to do with God. 
But if the presence of God and the power of God is not in there, it is evil. It is wasted. And we're no different. Don't become high-minded. We're no different. If we're going to have a meeting here on Sundays, 52 years, weeks out of the year, for an hour, and we're going to try to meet with God, it don't matter what we say about ourselves or what we call ourselves, if God doesn't show up here, God's presence and God's power, all this is here. Do you pray for that? Do you pray for, you know, this is participatory. This is not spectator church. Do you participate through the week and, and, and do you get along with God somewhere and say, Oh God, will you show up at our church on Sunday? Do you do that? Do you say, Lord, will you wake people out of their sleep in our town, bring them to our church desiring to meet with you? And will you show up there, Lord, and will you meet with those people on Sunday? This is verses 9 and 10. Go back to Psalm 132. Verse 9 and 10. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. I call this in your notes righteous priests and shout, saints shouting. It says because in verse 10 the face of your anointed do not turn away the face of the Messiah. In other words, he's saying let us meet face to face with Jesus. When we come to church let us meet face to face with Jesus. Now, I remind you from the Old Testament. They couldn't go into the Holy of Holies but one time a year and that was only one man, the high priest, and he had to go in there shaking to sprinkle blood of an animal on the mercy seat so that his sins would be forgiven and the sins of the nation would be forgiven. But when this when this meeting place is built, this place that God wants to meet with us, He doesn't want it to be a place that you can only go into one time a year. Let me read to you. The notes are up here. Let me read to you Hebrews chapter 9. For Christ has not entered into the holy place with hands which are copies of the truth, but into heaven itself. Let me just let's take that sentence again. Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth. In other words, the temple built on earth by Solomon was a copy of the truth temple that's in heaven made by God. Y'all with me? The Bible calls it shadows. We have earthly shadows of heavenly realities. There's a lot of things like that. Things on earth that God gives us to teach us how they operate and how they work, but they're only shadows of the real things that's in heaven. And that's what he's saying about the temple. Solomon built this temple on earth, but when Jesus died on the cross, the anointed one, the Christ, that's what that word means, he did not enter into the temple made with hands. He didn't enter into Solomon's temple, which are copies of the truth, but he entered into heaven itself. In other words, God went into the real temple in heaven, now to appear in the presence of God. What does that mean? Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he went carrying your sins and my sins and he went into the real temple in heaven, and he went through the veil into the Holy of Holies, where God Almighty is, and he presented himself on the cross there to God on your behalf and my, my behalf. Look, look what it says. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. Lord, they have to do this every year. Do it again next year. Do it again next year. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. 
But now once at the end of the age has to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So Jesus walked into that holy place and presented himself on the cross before God, paying the penalty for your sin and my sin, every one of them. The Bible says that as he hanged there, and as he gave up the ghost in the New Testament, it says, in the temple on earth, where, where the veil was that we studied one time, it was like three feet thick, this veil, not just an ordinary curtain. It was so thick. The Bible says that as Jesus gave up the ghost while hanging on the cross, inside the temple on earth, that veil began to tear from the top and tore from the top to the bottom. The veil that kept the Holy of Holies separate from the common people. And so now what it's showing us is that now that Jesus has appeared to God for you, now you can appear in the presence of God and you won't die. Now you can appear in the presence of God and you can meet with Jesus face to face and you won't be healed. You won't be burned by His holiness because God has made you holy through Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Jesus appeared before God to bring you into His presence. And now you can experience the presence of God and the power of God. And so that's why in verse 9 it says, And the saints shout for joy. I don't know about you, but I remember the first time I experienced the presence of God in my old heart. I remember that. I didn't shout for joy, but I experienced something I'd never experienced before. And it was His Spirit testifying with my spirit that I was saved. That I was His child. And that is a beautiful thing. Worthy of chapter. The last part of this song is the throne of God. Verses 11 through 18. Let's read it. <clears throat> the Lord has sworn in truth to David. He will not turn from it. I will set up your throne, the fruit of your body. Your sons will keep my covenant and my testimonies which I shall teach them. Their sons shall also sit upon the, your throne forever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell. For I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her, clothe her priest with salvation. And her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed, that is my Messiah. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. First of all, we see God's promise to David in verse 11 and 12. It talked about at the first of this that David had sworn to God he'd go to my house. In verse 11 it says, The Lord has sworn to David that he'll not turn from it. The Lord has sworn to David that out of your seed will come the anointed one. You remember in Luke chapter 1, verse 30 and 32, listen to what it says. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. 
and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Look at verse 12. Your son will keep my covenant and my testimony which I shall teach them, and their sons shall sit upon your throne forever. This is a picture of Jesus who's coming. And it says, in, and I just read it to you, Luke chapter 1, verse 32, He will come from His Father's throne, David, and Jesus will sit on that throne forever. David's descendants sat on the throne of Israel for years, but out of David's line will come Jesus, who will sit on the throne forever. Look at verse 13. He says that Zion will be His resting place. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for His dwelling place. And here it's not a reference to Zion in Jerusalem, the, the shadow. It's a reference to Zion in heaven, the real thing. That's where God will be eternally seated on His throne. And one day you'll get to go there. Then look at verse 17. There I will make the horn of David grow, and I will prepare a lamp for my anointed one. The light of God in the Messiah will shine in verse 18, and his crown will flourish. In other words, Jesus is king now in your heart. But there's coming a day when Jesus will be known as king to everyone on the face of the earth. Everyone, the Bible says, who was and who is and who is to come. And the Bible says, on that day, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those in earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What day is that? That's the day when we can all see Jesus sitting on His throne. You see, I want you to get clear. There's three divisions in this song. We have the temple, and then we have the ark, and then we have the throne. The temple, this place where you go to meet with God, contains the ark, which is a representation of the presence of God and the power of God, and that ark is also the throne of God. And so you've got the ark, which is God's seat of mercy, and also the ark, which is God's throne of glory. And so they come all together in the house of God. In other words, they come all together in the meeting place of God. In the place where God meets with men. Well, well, this is where it hits the road here, guys. This is where it is real. That meeting place today is not this building we come to meet in, nor was that school we used to be in. That meeting place today is your old body. Your old body. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own? In other words, God has chosen to reside and place His Spirit inside your body, and in that way your body becomes the temple of the living God. The next verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 20, For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. He says, you are not yours anymore. You belong to God now. God sits on the throne there. God bought your body with a price. Therefore your body is now the temple of the living God. In all of our afflictions, in all of our sufferings, we want to meet with God just like David did. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us this, verse 15. But we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. But he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly, the word boldly, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace 
and help in our time of need. Jesus died in your place so he can sympathize with you. He knows where you're weak. He knows where you fall. He knows where you sin. Yet he did not sin. And now he's, he's asking you to come. We started this message about a man who wanted to meet with Jesus. But the point of the Bible is about a God who wants to meet with you. A God who wants to meet with you so bad he sent his son to die on the cross in your place so that he could meet with you, or rather you could say it this way, so that you could meet with him. He took care of your sin. He took care of your weakness. He took care of your faults. And then he brought you into his throne room, literally into his holy of holies, in the place of in the place where God sits. And he wants you to meet with him. And he wants you to find grace there. He wants you to find mercy there in your time of need. So the picture of salvation represented here is you and me turning our sins over to God, being forgiven, and then God sitting on the throne of our lives. Turn with me in your Bible to Revelation if you would. This is how I'll close. Revelation chapter 4. As I read Revelation chapter 4, I want you to notice, maybe you can underline it in your Bibles, all the times the word throne is used. And as you think of the word throne as we read this chapter, I want you to think about your own life and who sits on the throne of your life. Who's in charge of your life? Let's start in Revelation chapter 4 verse 1. After these things I looked and behold the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven and one set on the throne. And he who sat on there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around about the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, and thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had the face of a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying this, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, and is, and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I'm going to keep reading verse chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. 
Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah. Stop right there. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah. Whose tribe is that? That's David's tribe, by the way. The root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice together, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and power and glory be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Would you pray with me? I ask you to join with me as, as I make this prayer. Would you make this your prayer? Would you begin to tell God that you want to meet with him? Just begin to cry out, Lord, I want to meet with you. I want to experience your presence and your power in my life. I want to meet with you. Lord, would you help us come to you and fall on our face before your throne. No matter what afflictions come upon us, when these afflictions and these sufferings cause us to bow before your throne, help us come boldly to your throne, Lord. In whatever afflictions we may be in, Help us come boldly to your throne and bow before you. And when we bow before you, O oh Lord, help us to find mercy from your seat of mercy. O oh Lord, be merciful to us. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us, Lord, where we have allowed dumb idols like Dagon to stand inside the temples of our bodies. Forgive us, Lord, where filthy Fake idols have consumed the temples of our bodies like Dagon. Lord, I pray, in my body, would you cause the idols of Dagon to be toppled over? 
Lord, I pray, would you chop off the heads of my idols? Would you take them away from me? Would you make it so I cannot worship them any longer? For you are the only true and living God. Lord, as I come boldly to your throne, can I also find favor before your throne? Lord, let your favor come upon me as a mighty tornado of grace. Let it rush over me, Lord. Let me be pleasing in your sight, Lord. I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm not fit. But by Jesus and for Jesus' sake, find me pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. And give me grace, Jesus. Give me grace today, Lord Jesus. I am needy, and I need your help, and I need your mercy, and I need your grace. So, Lord, would you let me meet with you so I can experience your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We just stand in this.